Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. I want to talk to you today about the dungeon. We're in the point in the story of Joseph where we're talking about the dungeon. And I want to lead with this. The most pivotal season in the life of a dreamer is when they're in the dungeon. The most pivotal season in the life of a dreamer is when they're in the dungeon. And our attitude in the prison often has a lot to do with our altitude in the palace. Joseph is on his way to the palace, but right now he's in the prison. Right now he's in the dungeon He's experienced some dramatic disasters. And so if you've experienced some dramatic disasters, you know, we all have little disasters. But when you have several in a row and they're large scale, the wind can stay knocked out of us and we can get really discouraged and we can begin to wonder how we can keep going on. It's been disappointment after disappointment. And what I want to encourage you and myself today is that Maybe like Joseph, and we need to take this really seriously. This is in the Bible for a reason. Maybe like Joseph, a lot about the future depends on how we respond in the dungeon right now. A lot about what happens later depends on how we operate in the dungeon right now. Joseph is in the dungeon. Have you been in a dungeon? Have you been in a place? You know, the dungeon is a place where you almost feel forgotten. I almost feel like nobody cares, nobody knows, nobody knows about this secret pain. Sometimes we put ourselves in the dungeon. You know, we made some mistakes. Other times it seems like people threw us in the dungeon. Other times it seems like a, you know, a combination of those. But the dungeon is a place of sorrow. It's a place where we're wondering, did I just really mess this up? Does God even have a plan with regard to me? Did, did I get too lost? Did I wander too far off the path? And... What's really in, in small amounts in the dungeon is hope. Hope is fading in the dungeon. It's like, I don't know, maybe all my dreams were a lie. Maybe this isn't really what I thought it was. Maybe I had a lot of presuppositions that were just stupid, that were just dumb. I was dumb to ever hope. Anyone ever feel dumb to hope? If so, you may find that you're in the dungeon. I want to read this summary verse that is really about Joseph's season right now. It's in the book of Psalms, and the psalmist is commenting on really what was going on from God's perspective while Joseph was in the dungeon. Psalm 105, starting 17, it says, Then he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave, and they bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar. Now, I've never had my feet bruised with fetters, nor have I worn an iron collar. But I got to imagine that's aggravating and that hurts a little bit. Probably a little bit of pain involved. I don't imagine you get super cozy in that specific position. So definitely there's some bruising going on. Anybody feel a little bit bruised? You feel like, "Ah, it doesn't matter what I do, I can't totally get comfortable here. Verse 19 says, until the time came to fulfill his dreams. Until the time came. God has a time. God has a time. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams. The dreams God had given him, the ones that now seemed like a mirage. Until the time came to fulfill those dreams, the Lord tested 
his character. And the Lord tests my character, and the Lord tests your character. He allows us to be placed inside of a dungeon, and he allows us to be bruised and irritated and aggravated, because there's a time that's going to come when you're not going to be in the dungeon. But until that time, I'm going to test your character. God uses the difficulties that you and I find ourselves in in order to test us, in order to refine us, in order to bring about that which he's trying to form inside of us so we don't need a dungeon on the outside. And often he uses like crater events, ginormous boom, moments of horrific impact in our lives. Maybe it was a really big failure. Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe it was a job loss. Maybe it's just a season where you can't seem to get ahead. It's one thing after another, and sometimes it really is our fault, and other times maybe it's somebody else's fault. Maybe we got betrayed. But here's the danger in the dungeon is that, one, we're going to undergrieve, and when we undergrieve, we get frozen. We get stuck emotionally where we were when that bad thing happened. We no longer begin to progress. Instead, we just stay emotionally where we were. We're still hurting. We're still in pain. We don't grow through it. We just get frozen and stuck. And the other thing that we might do wrong in the dungeon is we might miss the opportunity to grow and serve in the place that we are. Because whether we feel disqualified or we don't feel like there's an opportunity or we just feel like I'm just... There's nothing I can do. I'm, I'm, maybe we even think of ourselves as a bad thing now because we're in the dungeon. And both of those are a mistake. When I go to the DMV or I go to the doctor's office, one of the most frustrating moments is when I realize occasionally that I forgot my MacBook because I know I'm going to be waiting and I'm like, I got stuff to do, man. I, I want to do some work, you know, just so you know how it works with a preacher. When you preach a lot of weekends, every weekend you're on a timer, so... As soon as I'm done here right now, the timer starts again. Like, I have seven days until I preach again. That's what most weekends are like. And so that means the whole week, you're always on a schedule of like you're, you're juggling this, that, or the other thing so you can keep moving forward because you know, okay, four days I have to preach, three days I have to preach, two days I have to preach. That's how it always goes. So when, when you find yourself like, oh my gosh, I have like 40 minutes to wait here in the DMV. What am I doing? And, and then, well, I guess I can do it on my phone a little bit, but that doesn't have the same access, the same tools that I wish I would have, and I end up kicking myself. I'm frustrated because what do I do? I wasted an opportunity, and that's what we do sometimes in the dungeon. Is we waste an opportunity. There really was op- opportunity to grow there, even though we felt trapped, felt like there's nothing we could do. There still is an opportunity to grow in Christ-likeness, to leverage that moment. So we all have a decision to make when we find ourselves in the dungeon. We can say, okay, am I going to be active? Am I going to embrace this thing in a way that's paying attention? Or am I just going to, you know, in the dungeon, you can just kind of go to sleep. In the dungeon, yeah, I'm going to opt out, man. I don't need to go to the thing anymore. I don't need to really participate in that thing. I'm just going to cool out in the background. Nobody's going to notice anyway. Nobody's paying attention to me anymore anyway. So I'm just going to allow myself to get let off the hook. So instead of becoming bitter, which often happens, we get that frozen nature and we just kind of decide, well, you know, I'm just mad about this thing now. We can decide, I'm going to leverage the time. I'm going to use this to see the kingdom grow in me. I'm going to allow myself to be shaped by God so that when the time comes for God's dreams to come to pass, I'm ready versus I just kind of waited around and wasted my time. The most pivotal season of a dreamer is when they're in the dungeon 
And our attitude in the pit has a lot to do with our altitude in the palace. So we have Joseph. Remember what happened? He's, he's been sold. Dramatic treachery by his own family. He's been abandoned. I mean, if anyone's thinking that they're cursed, it's probably Joseph. Then he goes and he's, he's helping this family, Potiphar and his family, and he's like, he's doing really well. He's managing stuff. And then he gets blamed for attempting to rape Potiphar's wife when really it was Potiphar's wife who tried to rape him. And so there's this whole like, are you serious? You're, you're telling me I did wrong the very thing that was done wrong to me? But here's where we're going to see Joseph's attitude shine. Here's where we're really going to see what makes Joseph stand apart because of the way he responds. So we're going to start Genesis 39, 20. So he took Joseph, this is Potiphar, and he threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. He was accused. I don't know if you remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Elena, she preached on Joseph got accused of this, and so he's thrown into prison. So now he's thrown in here, and I really do believe him, and many scholars believe this, that Potiphar didn't actually think that Joseph tried to do this with his wife because Potiphar was the chief of the executioners. In other words, like all day long, man, they execute people. He'd be like, all right, we have a 10 a.m. open. Let's just kill him then. Like he could have just done that very easily, but he didn't. He's like, you know, man, this guy's got gifts. I'm going to put him down in the prison, this prison that's on his estate. And I really believe because probably this chick is not the first time she's done this. Okay, she's a little amorous and she just gets this way. And he's like, well, I got to save face for the family. I can't let... Everybody, you know, think that she really did this and punish her, but I got to do something, so he doesn't want to kill him, so he sends him down to the dungeon. Now, now, if I'm Joseph, I'm real tempted to get bitter because I'm still around the stuff. I'm still around Potiphar's people. I'm still on his lands, right? Like, if, you're, if, if someone's hurt you, it's real easy. If you have to see them every day, I mean, it's, it's much easier to remain bitter than if they move to California, right? Like, if they move, it's like, oh, dude, I'm, you know, I'm still mad, but... Praise God, I don't see your ugly face anymore. But, but not Joseph. Like he's, got, he's in the same place where all this has been happening to him. And yet he decides not to get bitter. Now here's the secret. Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners. And over everything that happened in the prison, the warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything, the Lord was with him, and he caused everything he did to succeed. This is foreshadowing, but it's really powerful if you and I can grab a hold of foreshadowing in our own life. See, if we're in covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the same thing is true of us, but the Lord was with him, but the Lord was with her. Oh, you've had a tough go? Things have been tough? Yeah, I know. You've had some, even pe- some people die. I know. You, you, you lost your job. Dude, it's hard. But check this out. Foreshadow, foreshadowing right here. Prophesy to yourself. But the Lord was with them. Dude, just, just think about anything you're going through right now. But the Lord was with them. Yeah, it was rough, dude. I mean, it was bad. But the Lord was with them. It would have sunk anybody else. But the Lord was with them. For some people, it would have been too hard. But... The Lord was with them. Apply that to yourself right now. But the Lord was with them. Oh, dude, the enemy was telling you, you're going down, son. But the Lord was with them. But the Lord was with her. She was able to make it because the Lord was with her. And he caused everything he did to succeed. Now, I really think the emphasis of this passage is not that everything he did succeeded. I think there's plenty of things that we try that don't succeed. It happened to be in this case that 
God was causing a lot to succeed for Joseph. But don't miss it. It's not that, oh, so everything ought to succeed. No, it's no matter what doesn't succeed, but the Lord was with them. So that they were able to overcome anything. No matter what, praise God. Dude, let me just tell you right now, if the Lord wasn't with you, whoo, honey, there ain't no hope. You in, you in trouble for sure then, okay? But God was with you. Aren't you so thankful that when you reach out a hand, Jesus actually is holding your hand. He's like, I got you. I know it's going to seem like there's a lot of waves and wind for a minute, but the Lord is with him. I don't feel like you guys are giving the kind of amens that I would expect from that kind of a good truth. I'm just, I'll just give you some feedback, all right? You give me some, I'll give you some. It's all right, pastor still loves you. Okay, verse, uh, chapter 40, verse 1. So sometime later, Pharaoh, chief cuffbearer and chief baker, offended their royal master. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials, and he put them in the prison where Joseph was, in the, place, in the palace of the captain of the guard. They remained in prison for quite some time, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, who looked after them. Okay, so you got these two guys. Now, these are like Pharaoh's lead staff, so they're kind of important. And not only is Joseph already taking care of everybody because the Lord is with him and giving him success, now he's in charge of kind of taking care of at least a little more influential people. But even right there, you know, I'd be asking... God, why am I here? What are we doing? What about the plan? What about this whole thing about, you know, my brothers and, and you know, father bowing down to me and, and all that stuff of being a real influence and authority figure? Like, what? How is this even possible? You ever stared at the ceiling at night and said, God, what are we doing here? How did we get here? This seems dumb to me. If I was going to write a dumb plan, I feel like we would be here. And yet this is where he is. God, why are we here? And the answer is a secret that you can miss in the dungeon or you can learn in the dungeon. Now, just to clarify, you can understand it outside of the dungeon. But don't think just because you understand it that you get it. How many know that spiritual truth is a little more than just being here? You got to get it here for it to really be helpful. So secrets only found in the dungeon, number one, our gifts bloom when we use them for others. Our gifts bloom when we use them for others. God, why are we here? And God doesn't say this, but we kind of know this. Because, Joseph, someday you're going to serve not only the entire nation, but the surrounding nations. So I need you to learn how to serve in obscurity. I need you to learn how to care when nobody cares whether or not you care. Verse 5, while they were in the prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed. Somebody say he noticed. He noticed. Now, what are we, what are we not noticing? He noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today? He asked them. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. Well, they tell them, and, and one's good news and one's bad news. So we're going we're gonna to gloss over this part a little bit, but Joseph essentially tells the cupbearer, hey man, good news. It's only a matter of time. Pharaoh's going to restore you. You're going to come back into his good graces. And for the other guy, the baker, sorry, buddy, bad news. Um, I'm just telling you, like, I do care about you, but I have to tell you the truth. It's not going to go so hot. So you, you might want to make peace with God now because that's not going to go well. But notice this. God is growing Joseph in empathy. 
And as he's growing in empathy, his gifts begin to grow more and more. Joseph is asking the question. He's looking around while he's in the dungeon. And this is really hard when we're in the dungeon. He's looking around. He's asking the question, who needs help around here? I need help, Joseph could say. I need help. But he's asking the question, who else needs help? Who can I help? I'm depressed, you say. Yeah, I, I get it. You're depressed? Go find some depressed people then and see what you can do to encourage them. You're going through, you're in pain? Go find some people in pain and see what you can do to encourage them. See, God's solution is always, oh, that's, hap- that's going wrong for you? Okay, find somebody else and encourage them. That's your assignment in the dungeon. That's what I sent you here to do. I sent you to, here to learn empathy. I sent you here to learn when, when there's no meaning for you, there's no advantage to you. When you're crumbling, go find some people that are crumbling and see what you can do to encourage them. Because it's super easy to just get comfy in the dungeon. You say, well, I, you know, whatever. I guess I'm not on the line for anything. I guess I'm not accountable for anything. Things are going bad in my world. So I guess I just kind of get a buy on everything. No. Now is the time. God says, now you learn how to encourage the grieving when you yourself are grieving. That's what you do in the dungeon. Early on, and when I was just like getting into ministry, I'd made some ministry mistakes. And really, you can't get in ministry very long without making some, some ministry mistakes. That kind of, just so you know, that's how it goes. Um, but I had a really great mentor because I made some mistakes. I feel really bad about it, feeling like, oh, you know, now God can't use me. And this wise man of God just said, hey, man, I understand that you're discouraged. And here's the thing. The enemy's trying to convince you you're not supposed to minister to anybody. You're not supposed to encourage anybody. So no matter what you do, even if you just go lead a random Bible, do something so you don't forget that God has a call on your life. Even though you're discouraged, even though you're down, even though you feel useless, now you're the one. Just go do this, even if it's really just for you on some level. Just do it so you don't forget that God's hand is on you and you want to be exercising that muscle. I wonder for Joseph, I wonder how much of the future is shaped because he chooses to be compassionate and empathetic right now. Because later he's going to have all kinds of empathy on all the people of Egypt and all the suffering nations around him. He's going he's to sell them a lot of food. Like he's going to take care of kind of saving the known world at that time. Thank God he practiced his empathy muscle right here. So even though we're discouraged and we're depressed, we've got our side, I'm going to go help people. You know, sometimes God has to show us that some of the people we think of as the lowly are really people that he's very interested in. So um, I found myself, we had a church split when I was in my early 20s. It wasn't this church, it was another place, but it was super discouraging. You know, I'd made some mistakes. I'd let some other guys into the situation. They'd made some mistakes. It was super discouraging. And I found myself, instead of being a pastor, I was delivering Domino's pizza. And it was so like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I used to have these guys delivered to me. Like I went to school near here and these guys, these very people would come and bring me pizza. And now I'm here delivering pizza with him. And so even though there's tremendous dignity in that in any job, my immaturity at the point felt like that was a step down. And I remember like complaining to like, like, oh God, this is, are you serious? I got to step down in this direction. And he just laid on my heart, you know, you claim to want to preach to people. Why don't you get to know some of the people I would have you preach to? Why don't you get in their lives? 
Why don't you see what it's like? Because these are real fathers and mothers with real families, and they're bringing home the bread just to support their family. That's why they're driving around with all their gas here all night, and they're not so different than you, little sea dog. He didn't really call me that. But they're not so different than you. But sometimes we need to be in the dungeon before we learn some empathy for the people around us. So let me ask you the question. Who is the lowly in your mind? Who are the ones that are like, ah, oh, they're a little... And you, you, you probably don't think this. Maybe you intentionally don't think it, but your heart thinks it if you would really poke at it. Here's some people that you know, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't run toward ministering to, but they're the very ones that God wants us to minister to in the dungeon. This is one of the dangers of... I mean, so many dangers, but maybe one of the unforeseen dangers of COVID is the isolation. And when we get into isolation, it fosters selfishness. It fosters self-focus. I'm going to worry about me. I'm going to take care of my business and my stuff. And that's just so unlike Jesus. Can you imagine Jesus? Can you ever even imagine Jesus sitting there on the rock thinking about himself? I wonder what I feel about this and just stewing away on Jesus's problems. Of course you can't, because Jesus wouldn't even do that. He's thinking about everybody else. He's thinking about everybody else's problems. And so for us to really milk the Christ-likeness that is available to us in the dungeon, we just have to get our, our minds off of ourselves. Man, I tell you, we're in trouble when we can't get ourselves off our mind. We've got to get after it. Dude, dude, quit thinking about you. That's not helping. It's probably making it worse. Proverbs 18, 69 I love that this is a part of it. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. Here's Joseph, and while he's focusing on others, now that's important, it's while he's focusing on others, while he's focusing, God is growing his gifts. He was already a manager. He was already managing for Jacob. Then he was managing for Potiphar, and now he's in the dungeon, and he's managing more. There's a pattern there. we got to notice the patterns. It seems like no matter where he goes, it doesn't matter what he even thinks about it. God has him leading. He has him managing. has him taking care of people, and his gift is growing. But notice this really crucial thing. At first, his gifts were largely about him. That's what we saw at the beginning. It was like, yeah, this is about my dream and what's going to happen with me. And now he's in the dungeon, and God is teaching him, no, don't get off track here, Joseph. Your gifts are about other people. I want you to manage for the sake of other people. I want you to help people with their dreams for the sake of other people, not for the sake of you. And he actually seems to even growing in strength. Like It's just more clear, and there's, there's more detail with how Joseph is explaining these dreams because he's focused on other people. Sometimes we just really get off. We're like, I'm going to just grow me. I'm going to get selfishly focused on me now. Now let's talk about me. Let's get more of me here on the conversation. No, maybe let's forget about that bad news and let's decide I'm actually going to be most helped when I make helping other people what I'm trying to do. He makes it about others. And I love, and this is, you got to be careful, when you've been hurt, when somebody rejected you, when they rejected your thing, like his brothers rejected his gifts, rejected his dreams, when someone's rejected you, you can be like, ah, well, you know what? I guess nobody wants it. I'm not going to do that anymore. I stepped out once, I tried it, and people didn't like it. I didn't do it all the way right. Or I got some things wrong, and people didn't really appreciate it. But not Joseph, he's like, well, you know what, my brothers didn't like it, but hey, God likes it, and these guys like it. I'm gonna use my gifts. It doesn't matter who doesn't like it, as long as God does like it. Okay, not everyone's happy with you, so what? Who cares? They didn't call you, 
They're not going to reward you. God called you. God's going to reward you. Why don't you just forget about what maybe didn't go perfect and step forward into the training? God is training us. God is training us in the dungeon. He's saying, let go of that, man. Shake that off. I really did gift you. Now get up and use your gift. Don't lay there on the cell bed. Get up and use your gift. We've got to sometimes just decide, you know, I've got to sit here and feel sorry for myself all the time. I'm going to decide if God likes it, that's good enough. And what Joseph decides to do is he decides, somebody say decides. Slap somebody nearby or just wave really hard so they feel the wind. Slap them and say, decide that you're going to help who's in front of you. Decide you're going to help who's in front of you. See, there's people in front of us. We're looking for something major. God says, how about something minor? But it'll be better for your soul. Try helping those in front of you. And it's going to take time, Joseph. And I know you're confused, Joseph. But I'm spotlighting the lowly so you'll lean into the lowly. Listen to what Jonathan Edwards, America's really first and greatest theologian, he wrote this. He said, if you are selfish and make yourself and your private interests your idol, God will leave you to yourself and let you promote your own interests as well as you can. But if you do not selfishly seek your own, but do seek the things that are Jesus Christ's and the things of your fellow human beings, then God will make your interest and happiness his own charge. And he is infinitely more able to provide for and promote it than you are. The resources of the universe move at his bidding, and he can easily command them all to subserve your welfare, so that not to seek your own in a selfish sense is the best way of seeking your own in a better sense. It is the directest course you can take to secure your highest happiness. He says, if you really want God to get behind your agenda, get behind somebody else's agenda. Get behind helping people. He says, that's the most direct route to get what you actually want, is to forget about what you actually want. By the way, a little Hamilton um, uh, trivia for those who don't know, if you care about Hamilton. Okay, Aaron Burr, sir, who is singing, wait for it. Um, He says, my grandfather was a fire and brimstone preacher. You know that song? How many like Hamilton up in here? Three of us really get this illustration, so cool. Well, his... His grandfather was Jonathan Edwards, which if you know the stature of who Jonathan Edwards is as a man of God, makes Hamilton all the more tragic when you think about Aaron Burr. That's a little deep cut, but just so you have it, you can try to entertain people at parties. Okay, here's number two. Secrets only found in the dungeon. Everyone grieves, but we have to decide to grow. Everyone grieves. Dude, everyone grieves. That's not even uncommon. Everyone grieves, but we have to decide to grow. Just going through hard stuff doesn't actually improve us at all. It's only when we decide, I'm going to grow through this thing. Now, in verse 14 and 15, we're really going to hear Joseph's heart. You're going to hear how he thinks about himself and his situation. 14 says, and please remember me. So he's asking them to do a favor. Hey, guys, I helped you out. Remember me. Please remember me and do me a favor. When things go well for you, mention me to Pharaoh so that he might let me out of this place. Okay, there's hope up there. He might. For I was kidnapped from my homeland. Now he's talking about what happened to him. The land of the Hebrews. And now I'm here in this prison. But I did nothing to deserve it. 
I think it's really important first that we talk about the grieving after we talk about the helping. Because too often we just navel gaze and we just decide, well, first let me grieve and fix me and then maybe I'll go think about helping somebody else. No, helping somebody else is part of how you get healthy while you grieve. So that's why it's number two. But as he decides, I'm going to grow spiritually through my grief. I'm not going to curse it and I'm not going to stuff it. I'm just going to go ahead and process it with the Lord. And the first piece of that is he owns it. Did you hear what he said? He said, I was kidnapped. Like he's talking about this event that happened to him. He says, this happened to me. I was kidnapped. This is part of my story. You know what part of my story is? Fellow prisoners is my brothers betrayed and abandoned me and it hurt. It was really, really hard. I didn't, they withheld from me brotherly affection that should have been mine. And it was a total like bad thing. And now I'm here and I'm, you know, I'm tempted, but I don't go there. I'm not like, oh, if it only had been different. Oh, if only they would have done something else. No, I'm just, this is what happened. I'm not wallowing in what could have happened. I'm saying, this is, these are the brass tacks of it, yo. This is what happened. This is where I am. And often it's not until we just say, we look at the thing, which that, was, that was what it was. That was, what it, that was the bad thing. That was what I did. That was what they did. This was how bad it was. This was it. It's only then that now we can process it in light of the truth of Scripture and the presence of the Holy Spirit. See, here's what most folks don't know. The Spirit of God will visit the dungeon. He'll be there every day with you if you ask him. And in the dungeon, he will show you in the scriptures. He will heal you. He'll suck the poison and the bitterness out of your heart. And he'll show you. He'll, he'll, he'll evaluate with you. you say, well, you know, this was wrong. This was half wrong. You don't even need to pay attention to these people because they don't know what they're talking about. He will get that specific if we will spend time in the scriptures. Say, so God, I need you. I need you to heal me because people don't heal on their own. When we go through hard stuff, people don't heal on their own. But there is a God in heaven who comes into the dungeon who will heal us if we will grieve with him. All we have to do is ask, and you know, he'll remind you of other things too. He'll say, you know what, but you're really loved. And you're not as bad as everybody says. In fact, I like you. And I see a lot of potential here. And I think there's a lot we can work with here. God will start to prophesy to you all the great things that can come by submitting to his training. Y'all still with me? You're not falling asleep, are you? Can you handle messages like this? Okay. So we grieve. And then as we grieve, at some point, we begin to adjust. Joseph said, now I'm here. He's not there anymore. He's not living in the past. He's saying, now I am right here. I'm here and I've adjusted and I've embraced God has allowed me to grieve without developing a spirit of grief. See, God wants us to grieve, but the enemy brings a spirit of grief. A spirit of grief is where, well, we can't get it off of us. We just walk around sad all the time because we have no hope. We can't see anything forward. We can't believe that God has any plan beyond this. And so we're just always, you know, just believe in the enemy. Oh, you know, it's just never going to go good again. And you, man, you really blew it this time. And, and there's no hope after this. And you might as well just give up. That's a spirit of grief. And that's not from the Lord. The Lord wants us to remember, hey, I like you. I'm all powerful. I know what to do. And it's true that the dungeon is a place of loneliness. It is. And by the way, the dungeon is a place where people aren't clapping for you. Ain't nobody there to clap. 
Nobody's applauding you while you're in the dungeon. Now, they might applaud after a while when you get out. And they're like, dog, gone, look what you went through. But nobody's coming to applaud us while we're in the dungeon. Only Jesus will be there. He's the only one that'll do it. But you know what? If you'll let him be enough in the dungeon, you won't need anybody else when you're outside of the dungeon. That's one of the things he's trying to do in our spirits. Recently, I've been watching this Netflix show called The Queen's Gambit. And, uh, you know, it's, it's about chess, and I like it. Um, but this girl, not to give away too many spoilers, but she ends up becoming really good, okay? That's, that's the deal. She's playing chess, and she starts off as a little girl, and she becomes really good. And she becomes one of these players that is so good that it really, she's playing these world champs, and it doesn't matter what you or I would do in a chess match against her. No matter what you would play, she's so smart and so next level, you can't play anything that she won't use against you. Like, even your very clever idea that you have, she's like, that's dumb. I'm just going to move that against you and work it in my advantage. Well, in a certain kind of way, God is like that. God takes everything that we do, no matter how dumb or how smart, no matter how random or how intentional, God takes every little move we make and he says, I'm just going to work that into my strategy to bless you. Now, here's the deal. Often, we have to lose in order for God to really win. Here's the thing about God. God's never playing to beat you. He's playing for you to win. That's what's trippy about God. God's always actually setting you up to get blessed. God's always actually moving the pieces on the board. So, yes, I understand. I actually had to get them into the dungeon so I can do this super cool power move to help them win the way I want to. And there's certain things in them that can't live. I got to get rid of those things, and the best place for those to come out are in the dungeon. But after that, I'm going to use it this way, this way, this way, and this way, and boom, God wins and we win because that's the kind of player he is. And so I just want to encourage you, hey, Precious, if you're in the dungeon and you're like, man, all my dumb moves got me here, and I had all these things wrong, God says, it's all part of my strategy. I know how to get you where you're going. And I promise, the only way for me to win is if you win. What a God we serve. And this is where we begin to understand, my friends. I thought this was a grave when I got into this dungeon. I thought this was the end of me. But I'm slowly learning this is a greenhouse. This is where the seed that God put in us begins to pop up above the soil, but it had to die first. There's things in it that had to be killed for the true fruit that God wanted to bring to come about. I got to encourage you, my friend. You have to understand that's what Christianity is. There's always a seed in us that has to die or it can't bear any fruit. We think it's going to be all success. We think it's all going to be one big harvest all at once, and that's really not the life that Jesus describes in the Bible. Rather, it's this slow embracing. There is a lot of abundance. There's a lot of success. There's a lot of joy, but there's still a cross, and there's still things in us that can only live if they die first. And if we can get that, life will start to make a whole lot more sense. And here we have Joseph, and, and there's still people that he understands don't like him, just like there's some people that might not like you or like me. But we got to follow Jesus' example, 1 Peter 2, 23. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, 
He uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself. Somebody keep, say, keep entrusting. He kept entrusting himself. He didn't do it once. He kept doing it. To him who judges righteously. You and I cannot stop the fact that grief will come. There's nothing we can do about that. What we can do is turn that over to the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures and decide, oh, I'm going to grow. I didn't come all the way into this dungeon just to lay here. I'm going to get all the gold that is in it. And here's the final stage for Joseph. Joseph said, he might let me out. There's hope there. He says, this is my reality, but someday it might not be. God might still have a plan. It's not all done. And what that means is you and I decide, I can have a good attitude here. You can have a good attitude when people don't like you. You can have a good attitude when everybody isn't all happy with all your decisions. You can have a good attitude when you did make some major mistakes. You can have a good attitude when you are around some people that honestly make you a little bit uncomfortable. You can have a good attitude when things haven't been all resolved in that particular area of life yet. You can decide it's actually still pretty good here because Jesus is in the dungeon with me. And it's, it's, it can still be pretty good. And listen, I don't need to have a perfect past in order to have a wonderful future. My God can still take everything I've got and move it around on the chessboard, and it works just fine. But what I've, what I've got to decide and you've got to decide is God only goes one direction. God doesn't have a DeLorean time machine. He doesn't have a version where you somehow go back and change the past. God only has forward. He says, whatever we're going to do next, it's going to be where the past really still exists. That's really how it did go. But I'm still going to lead you on to victory and beauty. And this is where we decide, I'm going to be optimistic. Even though I'm in the dungeon right now, I'm going to decide, this doesn't define me. This isn't who I'm going to be. This is a thing that I did or a thing that happened to me, but it's not who I am. There's a very big difference there. It's not that you're a failure. It's that you did a few things that happened to not lead to success. It's not that everybody hates you. It, 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 just that you happen to meet a few people that don't agree with you about how awesome you are. It has nothing to do with your identity. It's not about that you're a damaged thing or a bad thing. Instead, you're a God thing, and you're God's work, and God's going to do what God's going to do. Let me go ahead and invite the worship team back up. And we're going to decide that the dungeon doesn't have to be the end. It can be a beginning. It can be a place where we say, this is where that seed's going to crack open. I'm going to look back on this dungeon and say, this is where God started a great work. This is where God said, devil, forget about it. They're mine and I'm going to bring something beautiful and glorious that you never saw coming. I want you to believe this in your heart. Something, this isn't random. You're not in the dungeon on accident. Something is growing here. The most pivotal season of a dreamer is when they're in the dungeon. And our attitude in the pit often determines our altitude in the palace. Now here's the final secret that we need to know. God was with Joseph. Jesus is with us. Hebrews 12, 2. Here's the pathway. Let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. On whom our faith depends from beginning to end. He's not even relying on your perfect faith. He's saying, 
It's actually the faith that I give them, and I'm going to complete the whole work. What we've got to do in the dungeon, like Joseph, is we've got to see him who is unseen and look to him. Tell somebody, Jesus is with me, and if this is where Jesus is, I don't want to be anywhere else. Jesus is with me, and if this is where Jesus is, I don't want to be anywhere else. Now, next week, Joseph's going to round a real corner in his life because the time came to fulfill his dreams. But in the meantime, he's in the dungeon, and I don't know how long your dungeon experience is, and I don't know how long till the next one. But here's what I know based on the authority of Scripture. My friends, we got to get this. It really matters how we go through the dungeon. And our attitude in the pit is often going to determine our altitude in the palace. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, I'm so thankful that you are here with us no matter what is going on, no matter where we are. I'm so thankful that we're not like those who have no hope. I'm so thankful that you use everything on the board to not only cause you to win, but to cause us to win in you. And so Lord, we should invite you into the dungeon for each one that is really wrestling right now, who's really discouraged, who's really got a lot of regret, who's got a lot of shame or pain. We invite you to teach us through the scriptures. We invite you to soften us. We invite you to teach us the lessons and maybe undo some of the wrong lessons that we've learned. Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. And we trust that there is a glory and a blessing coming that it doesn't make sense that our seed would die and not produce a harvest. We trust you, Messiah. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button and take a screenshot and then share it on social media or your social stories. Hey, whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Thanks for listening.